um, word of direction. Uh, throughout the month of January, we're going to do just kind of a few standalone sermons. Uh, to, to, uh, we're going to do today. Next week, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, where we're looking at the body of Christ and the importance of every single member in the church. After that, we're going to be in. Uh, uh, we're going to be celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day, where we always preach on uh, how the gospel overcomes racism. And then after that, we are going to be in Sanctity of Life Sunday, where we are looking at the value of just every person who is born in the image of God. And so we'll be in Psalm 8 for that. Then on the last Sunday of this month, uh, we're looking at doing a youth baptism. Uh, so if you have a child who's interested in baptism, we'd love to be talking to you about that. We're going to be setting up some meetings. Uh, and then on the last Sunday of this month, we're going to be uh, celebrating uh, just some of those baptisms. And thus, we'll be preaching on baptism. And then starting in February, uh, we will begin preaching a series through the book of Hebrews, uh, which will uh, take us throughout the rest of this year. And I'm very, very excited as we start that. So I want to encourage you, begin reading Hebrews. Just begin reading it uh, several times just in means of preparation for that time. But today, uh, as it's the first Sunday of 2021, um, we're going to spend this time in prayer. That's what we're going to be preaching on. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at prayer. I am more and more convinced that we as a church and the church global. We need to grow in our practice of prayer, our hungering for prayer. And so I really have two goals as we make our way through this text and this sermon. Uh, number one, I just pray that we are reminded of the importance of prayer. So as we look at this text, I just want to see the importance, the necessity, and the power of prayer. And number two is really the means of accomplishing that. I believe that we need our hearts and our minds recalibrated on how we think about prayer. Uh, to think of it this way, um, you all have vehicles, and when the vehicle starts going to the left or going to the right, you take it to the shop where it gets realigned. So it would go straight. And what I hope is, is this text does for us and our understanding of prayer is it recalibrates us, it realigns us, that we would think about prayer as God reveals prayer to us in his word. And so we're going to be in Ephesians 6. And many of you are probably familiar with Ephesians 6. Probably, uh, I think there's a song, something about the armor of God and how that goes. I will not sing that. Um, but yeah, we're not disappointed. And... And so we're going to be looking at, uh, at the armor of God, uh, but we're really looking at the end of it where it talks about prayer. And when we look at Ephesians 6, um, real quick, the armor of God is simply applying the truth of the gospel to our lives. That's what it is. Um, so when we're putting on the armor, we're applying God's truth. But the question could be, why do we need this thing called spiritual armor? Why is it that Paul tells us to put on the armor of God? Well, Paul's answer is pretty short because life is war. And that's something that we forget, and that's where I believe our minds need to be recalibrated. And so let me explain just how Paul leads us to that understanding. In Ephesians 2... Paul makes it abundantly clear that when you and I and every single person is born in this world, we are born sinful. We are born dead in our sins. We do not love God. We rebel against his rule. We oppose his kingdom. 
We don't want to please him. And in fact, the Bible says we cannot please him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, we are said, or I think it's chapter 2, verse 2, that we, um, we follow the prince of the power of the air. So our ruler, when we're born in this world, our king, is, according to the Bible, is, is Satan. That's who we follow. Satan opposes the rule of God. We oppose the rule of God just like him. And because of that, the Bible says that we are enemies of God and we are under his wrath and our destiny is to suffer his wrath for all of eternity. So that's where, where Paul begins this. But then, right after he gives us this terrible news, he begins to go, but God, rich in his mercy because of his great love, sent forth his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross that he would pay the penalty of our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be adopted in the family of God, so that we could be made citizens of his kingdom. You see, the gospel is about Jesus saving sinners, saving enemies, saving people in an enemy kingdom and bringing them into his kingdom, giving them new hearts and new minds and new desires that now we would love God and that we would live for God. And so if that is you, if you are a Christian, if you've believed in Jesus, then you right now are a citizen of God's kingdom. But while we still live here on this earth, the Bible says we live on what's called enemy territory. In fact, in 1 John, we're told that the God of this world is Satan. And so we still live in this enemy territory, and God has given us a mission. And the mission is, is that we would go forth proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we would tell other people that God, by his grace, would save them, and they also would become citizens of God's kingdom. And there's nothing more that Satan wants than to defeat us, than to destroy us, than to distract us from our mission. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're told Satan's like this roaring lion. He's prowling, looking for people to devour. And in Revelation 12, we're told that Satan's like this dragon, and he's coming after the church, wanting to destroy the church. And so how does he attack? Well, he attacks in many different ways. Physical persecution is one. We don't see that as much here in America, but we see it in a great deal of other countries. We support 16 missionaries. All 16 of them face physical persecution on a regular basis. Uh, sometimes his attack is whispering lies in your heart and in your mind that you would doubt God's love, that you would doubt his goodness. Lies like you're a failure. Lies like you, you've sinned again. God doesn't want you. He died for other people, but not for you. He doesn't want you. Some of you have probably heard those lies. You've wrestled with those. Or he might whisper lies into your head that says you, you're actually really good. In fact, when you look at other people, you're better than them. You're morally superior to the people around you. You have a great job. You have a great bank account. Things are going really well. That's because of you and your power. That's because of what you accomplish. You are good enough. And that's a huge lie in this world. Because when we believe that, we don't need a Savior. Or he might, he might bring pains and trials and problems your way, 
also that we'd be distracted from our need from a Savior as we're wrestling with these other things, or he might just give you everything you want. Because when you have everything you want and your life is really easy, we often don't think we need a Savior, which is why Jesus in the Gospel will say, it's easier for a camel to go through what? The eye of a needle? And for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. Why? Because we just don't see that need when we're rich and we have everything. So regardless of the means in which Satan attacks, his goal is to distract you from the mission, to make you ineffective. And he does that by deceiving us in all of these lies and all these ways that he comes towards us. And so what Paul wants us to know is that while we live here on earth, life is war. If we're going to stand firm against the lies of Satan, if we're going to shine brightly with our words and our actions in this world so that other people would know Jesus and come to believe in him, then we're going to be putting on the armor of God. But then that brings us to the question, how do we put on the armor of God? And what we're going to see is that it's through prayer. Prayer. Is what, what I want us to see today is, is a wartime walkie-talkie in which we communicate to God and we depend upon him for his strength, to, for his grace to strengthen us. So that's where we're going today. That's what we're going to look at, that prayer is this wartime walkie-talkie where God gives us grace. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you, go ahead and stand with me. Uh, we stand here at Timberline when we read God's word as a means of reminding us that this word comes inspired by the Spirit of God for the purpose of equipping us and training us in righteousness. So what we're going to do is we're going to read uh, starting in verse 10 because I want to see the whole context of this passage. And we'll go to verse 20, starting verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains that i may declare it boldly as i ought to speak let's pray father Father, we live in a world characterized by darkness. We live in a world where sin is in abundance, where Satan runs like a lion prowling. Lord, there's an enemy that wants to destroy us, wants to deceive us. And Lord, I pray that you would just open our eyes today to this warfare that is around us. 
that you have saved us, brought us into your kingdom, but there is a battle that we are engaged in. And we know the battle is already won because of your son Jesus. And when he comes again, Lord, we know the enemy will be forever vanquished. And we will forever live with you in perfect peace and perfect harmony. And as we live in between these times, in this battle, Lord, may we know that you give us grace every day to stand firm, every day that we live faithful and obedient lives, and that grace comes to us through prayer. God, open up our eyes. Lord, may we see the truth of Psalm 19, that your word is much, it's much greater than gold, sweeter than honey, And as we obey your word, Lord, you say there's a great reward. So Lord, may we see that today. Open up our eyes. Open up our hearts. May we taste and see the truth and the beauty of this word. And may you place a fire, a burning passion within us that we would depend upon you in prayer on a daily basis. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, so like I said, we're not going to look through the whole armor of God. We're going to start, start um, in the bottom, and we're going to look at what he says about prayer. And the first thing that I want you to see that I believe is abundantly obvious is that prayer is wartime communication. Just look at the context of the passage. Verses 11 and 12 describe an enemy. Verses 13 through 17 talk about six pieces of armor. And then verses 18 through 20, almost a third of the passage is completely dedicated to prayer. The whole point of this passage is that there is a war, we're engaged in it, and our communication device is prayer. Now, This Christmas season, if you were with us, we read through the book of Luke. We did that as a means of Advent, working our way, one chapter each day, going all the way up to Christmas. And I'll tell you, as I was reading through Luke, I knew we were coming to this passage. I knew we were preaching on prayer. And when we got to certain passages, like in Luke 21 and Luke 22, where we read about prayer, we see this truth lived out here in Ephesians 6 we see that prayer is this wartime communication. So let me just read a couple passages from Luke. This comes from Luke 21, verses 34 to 36. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, preparing them on how to stand firm. He says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, the day of his return, will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. So how is it that we're going to stay alert? How is it we're going to stay awake? How is it that we will persevere when when these times of judgment will come upon the earth? Through prayer. Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. Jesus is talking to Peter also known as Simon, and this is what Jesus says. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. So Satan says, give me Peter. I'll wreck him. 
I'll destroy him. Just like he had tried to attack Job, he wants to do with Peter. He wants to shipwreck his faith. And so, so God allows this. And so what is Peter's hope? Then Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So of all the things Jesus, the Son of God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, of all the things that he could do to save Peter, to make sure he will persevere in his faith, he says, I will pray for you. That's how you're going to persevere, Peter. It's through my prayer. In Luke 22, Jesus is preparing for his time of being arrested and his time of being crucified. What does he do? What does he do as the most important thing right before he is arrested? Right before he will be mocked and beaten and reviled and then crucified? He goes to the garden and he prays. All throughout Luke, we see prayers this wartime communication. And the thing is, it's not limited to Ephesians, and it's not limited to the book of Luke of how we see prayer in the Bible communicated as this wartime communication. Look at um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is what Paul says in verses 1 and 2. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. So how's the mission of the gospel going forward going to be accomplished? And how is it that Paul and his fellow brothers with him are going to be delivered from the enemy? Prayer. Daniel, in the Old Testament, he's about to be killed with the rest of the wise men. Nebuchadnezzar says, "Uh, you've not been able to answer my request, therefore all the wise men will be killed. So what's the solution? What's the one thing Daniel says, look, if we have any hope in surviving, what do we need to do? He prays. In Daniel 6, King Darius is tricked into signing a decree that no one can pray to any other god or any other king except Darius for 30 days. Daniel hears about this. What does he do? What does he do when his faith is being opposed by the political powers of the day? He prays. When Nehemiah appears before the king. Now remember, Nehemiah is a cupbearer. And so everything that the king eats or drinks goes through Nehemiah. And so if Nehemiah looks sullen, looks sad, before the presence of the king, the king could just have him killed at that very moment. Because he could be wondering, why? Does he know something? Is he tricking me? Is there a plan to kill the king? And so Nehemiah comes before the king, and the king basically says, why are you sad? So what does he do? What's his one uh, solution that he has at this moment? He prays. He prays, and, and we see that earlier in Nehemiah, he'd been praying, and God answers his prayers, where Jews are then sent back to Jerusalem, and the walls are rebuilt. In the book of Acts, Peter is arrested. He's in prison. What does the church do? What do they do? How do they act for Peter? How do they love him? How do they support him at this time? They pray. And what does God do? He sends an angel, releases Peter from prison, and brings him into the presence. You you should read that later. Read the story in Acts. Or go to Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John, they're arrested and they're beaten. They're then released, and they gather back with the church. What do they do? 
they pray. And the crazy thing is, they don't pray that they don't get persecuted again. They pray for boldness to stand firm in the gospel. They know life is war here on earth. We're not going to pray for no persecution because they know where they live, this is enemy territory. What they're going to pray is for God's grace to give them strength to stand firm. Prayer is the means in which we engage in spiritual battle, means in which we stand firm in our faith, is the means in which we accomplish the mission God has given to us. Prayer is how we communicate to God, communicate to our king, communicate to our general, that he would send forth grace to us on the front lines so we would stand firm. Here's the problem. And I think we fall into this. You might be into this right now. We have domesticated prayer. We, we have made it into simply a precursor to eating and sleeping. Think about when you pray. We, we have turned our wartime walkie-talkie into a house intercom button that we use for conveniences and comforts. I mean, just think. Just think last five prayers you did. Last five. What was the content of those prayers? What did you pray for? And what might be even a little scarier is that then what you prayed for might be that you can't remember the last five times you prayed. Could it be one reason we struggle with prayer is that we use it in a means it was never intended for? Have we turned this military walkie-talkie into a bell that we simply ding when we want something? I mean, does the content, just think about this, does the content of your prayers reveal that we think of God as simply a divine butler that runs to meet our needs when we ring him with our prayers? Just think about the content of your prayers. Let's take some time. And what I want us to do is begin to think, what would it look like if we used prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie? What if we use prayer like Paul tells us to here in Ephesians, in which I believe you find everywhere else in Scripture? So that's what we're going to do the rest of this sermon. We're just going to say, okay, what would this look like? How do we do this? So number one, prayer is how we wield the sword of the Spirit. When you're in Ephesians 6, and you're looking at all the armor of God, Paul says, fasten on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of the shoes of peace. He then says, take up the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit. Now the question is, how do we do this? How do we use the sword of the Spirit? Then we come to verse 18, and he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Prayer is the means we put on the armor of God, and it's how we wield the sword. Like, prayer is to be our number one response every time we're in the Word. I would say pray before you come into the Word, and every time you finish reading God's Word, or through a sermon, or through a podcast, or the million different ways we can listen to God's Word now. Take time and pray. Apply the truths and the realities of Scripture to your life through prayer. 
by God's grace. And so I think maybe the easiest way to do this is to simply maybe give a couple of examples of what this could look like on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so let me give you two examples. One, let's say someone has, has hurt me. They've offended me. And I don't want to forgive them. You ever there? You ever been hurt? You ever been slandered? You ever just, you know that what that person did intentionally was directed towards you. And you say, nope, I'm not forgiving you. I've forgiven you before, but I am not doing it again. And then you come to Ephesians 4.32, where Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we're faced with a battle at this moment. My internal desire is I'm not going to forgive. There is a lie that I'm believing at this moment from saying I don't need to forgive. This person isn't worthy. I don't need to. He's hurt me too much. He went too far in what he did. Therefore, this has gone outside the scope of Scripture and of the command. I do not need to forgive here. You ever feel like that? You ever wrestle with that lie? And then you come, and you come to this truth, and it says, but we're to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. So what do we do? We have a battle. There is a war, a spiritual war going on in our hearts for what we will believe at that moment. So I believe what we do is we take Ephesians 4.32 and we pray that scripture. And we remind ourselves of how God has forgiven us in his word. Father, we know that you have forgiven me when I was an enemy, when I was dead in my sins and my trespasses, when I hated you, when I did not love you, when I did not please you. And yet, by your grace, you saved me and forgave me. Help me to know that love. Help me to live like that, and may I love and forgive this person also. You see what we do? We take the sword of Scripture, we use it to cut down the lie of Satan, which he's bringing. I don't need to forgive. We cut that down. With Scripture, it says we do. Now we're saying, God, give me grace that I can actually do this. Because if we don't, then whose power are we relying on? Whose wisdom are we relying on? Relying upon our own. So we use scripture as a means of cutting down the lies, exposing them, and then strengthening us to do what God has called us. And we do that through prayer. So example number two, marriage. Marriage is hard, right? Marriage is a battleground, right? I mean, you got two sinful people. I mean, not for my wife and I. I mean, like, let's be (laughs) She's like, oh, man, what story is he going to bring? So um, you got two sinful people, right, living in one house, and they're sharing finances, possessions, desires, schedules. How does that going to work? I mean, that's a battle many times, right? Sometimes it goes great. Sometimes it's just a knockdown drag up. And so, husbands, what do you do when your wives are not loving 
When they they don't submit to you, like we read in Ephesians 5. And wives, what do you do when your husbands are not loving and they're not sacrificing for you and giving themselves for you? Do we bite and devour one another? Do we wait for the other person to be loving before we fulfill our biblical role that God has given us? Ephesians 5 says wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ and husbands are to love their wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. How are you going to do that? Your power? You're going to submit to your husband out of your power at all times? You're going to love your wives in a sacrificial way in your, I mean, do you see just how foolish that sounds when you say it like that? It's like, no way. The way we accomplish that is by prayer. We wield the sword of the Spirit. So when my wife does things, or whether it's sinful or not, or I just perceive sin, or am I just do not want to love her like God has called me to, what do I do? I take the sword of the Spirit that says, you know what, I ought to be able to do what I want. She ought to do this and this and this. And I use the sword to cut down those lies, to remind myself of the role in which God has given, and I pray that He gives me the grace and the strength to live out those truths. Prayer is how we overcome sin and show the love of Christ to one another. Do you see that? And you can do this with every scripture. With whatever the lie is, you come into scripture. You take the truths of scripture. I mean, I was reminded of this one yesterday. Like, like I read, like I've quoted Psalm 19 twice today. Um, so this, this, like as a pastor, like I, I come and I go, man, do I have anything good to say? Do I have anything good to say? There's times the sermons just kind of seem to write themselves, and there's times the sermons don't. And you know what that's like, whatever you're doing. There's things you do that are just sometimes easy, and sometimes they're just not. And there's times I know that I come here, and I'm like, all right, well, God, if, 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 if anything is good is going to come out of this, you're going to have to do something, Right? But isn't that the truth every time? And so just reminding myself of this truth that your word is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So when it's moments before I come up here and I'm going, man, I I don't know about this sermon. I, I, I I don't know. I can rest in the fact that, you know what, God's word is more desirous than gold, sweeter than honey. And as we just hold out his word, he will do great things with it. Not because of me, not because of eloquence or rhetoric, but because of his grace. But if I don't pray that, if I don't know these truths, And those lies will capture my own heart at that moment. And the same thing for you and whatever it is that you're doing. We take the word of God through prayer and we cut down the lies that Satan would give us. 
and remind ourselves of the truth. So that's the first thing. If we're going to know that prayer is a wartime communication device, it wields the sword because the sword is the means, is, the, is what we use in our prayers as a means of overcoming sin and standing firm in our faith. And so the question may be, how many times a day do you need to do that? Well, I like what Paul says. He just says, pray constantly. <laughs> when we go, next thing we're going to understand is if prayer time is wartime communication, then prayer is a constant activity. Look at verse 18, praying at all times. Now, this isn't the only time that Paul says this. I know because I went through all the times that he says this. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray at all times. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Romans 12.12, 12, be constant in prayer. 1 Timothy 5.5, 5, he's talking to widows. He says, be continuous in prayer. Philippians 4.6, uh, we're to be continuously presenting our requests to God. Find me something else in Scripture that Paul says, do this all the time. Might be a little hard-pressed to find that one. But one thing he does tell us to do all the time is pray. And in addition to telling us to pray, you know what Paul does? He shows us how to do it. You go to every single one of his letters, and what does he say? I'm praying for you all the time. I never cease to pray for you. You read that in his letters at all times. In fact, in the beginning of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. All the time he's praying. So we're to be praying for ourselves all the time. And Paul is reminding us of the importance of prayer in that he says, I am praying also for you. You kind of get the idea that prayer is like breathing. It's a constant activity. And if breathing is a physical activity that we do to sustain ourselves, then I would say prayer is the spiritual activity that we do to sustain ourselves. So you might then say, well, why then do we pray at all times? Well, two reasons. Number one, life is war. That's number one. Number two, prayer is the means in which we receive God's grace to stand firm. That's why we pray at all times. Because at what point in the day do you not need God's grace? What point do you not need His grace? And that brings us to our next point. Prayer is dependence upon God's grace. Look at verse 18. This is what Paul says. He says, pray at all times. In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. The word supplication means urgent request. So, here's a question. What are these urgent requests that Paul has in mind that we should be praying about constantly. Remember, what's the context? Is this passage about comforts and conveniences? Is this about receiving our pillows and cushions and having a good day and a trouble-free life? Is that the content of our supplications? Guys, pray at all times, giving your urgent requests, God, give me a good day today. Is it the content of our prayers? Is Paul telling us to think of God as our divine butler who rushes in to refresh in our drink when it's empty? 
And this is warfare language. There's a battle. Life is war. There's an enemy. He's attacking in multiple ways on multiple fronts at all the time. We pray all the time because we need grace at all times to stand firm. Paul is telling us that the way that we stay alert, the way that we're aware of deceptions and sin, is by praying. It's praying the Scriptures. We need our general, our king, Jesus, to send us grace if we're going to persevere in our faith and remain faithful. If we're going to love one another, if we're going to grow in our unity, if we're not going to let division come in amongst us, what are we going to do? We need to pray. Pray for ourselves and pray for one another. I was thinking back uh, as I was writing this sermon and just thinking about my own life, my own prayer life, uh, and I was thinking, so I've been now in full-time ministry for almost 18 years. Um, and when I look back all the way at the beginning, which is weird, like 18, like I don't feel like I should be that old. Um, I know, do you realize that? Like almost 18 years? Uh, you know, I remember, so when we first were in ministry, I was the youngest guy in the church. By far, I mean, there was, I was the youth pastor and there was kids, but the oldest kid was 10 years younger than me. And I was 24, 25. And then the next oldest person in the church was like 34, 35. I mean, that, that's where I lived. And I was like, oh, I was always the youngest. And I became the senior pastor of that church, and I was mostly the youngest. A few people slipped in. And then I came here, and all these military people come in who were like in their 20s, and it's just way different. Anyways, I digress. Um, so I think back about like 18 years ago, and I think about, man, I was full of energy. Um, I was young. I, I was full of pride. I knew what to do. I knew how to do it. I had the answers. I had zeal. I had confidence. Nothing could stand in my way. And while I would affirm all of these scriptures and know that Satan is an enemy, um, I don't think I was worried about him. Not in a real way. I mean, Satan might be a roaring lion, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, but I was probably the lion tamer. I mean, just being real, right? Um, that's, that's probably who I was. Um, I probably, uh, you know, I remember <laughs> really long time ago, like watching wrestling. You know, remember like WCW, WWF? All those really, those were like the guys, um, soap operas. Um, and, uh, and there was like these tag team matches, one guy goes in, he does his thing, and then he tags when he needs it. I'd probably say, I could probably operate that to some degree, like with God, like, God, I got this. I can do this. But I'll tag you, like, if I really need it. But, I got, but don't worry, you can help other people. I'm, I'm pretty good over here. Now, I probably, I, I never would have said any of that. Like, those never would have been something I would have voiced. But as I look back, I just think, what did prayer look like back then? What did my dependence, where was I at in my own head and my own pride? I think, I think that's probably a pretty honest look at where I was. And now I just think of where I am now and knowing I still have so far to go. But man, how foolish I was. How foolish I was to think that there were many things I could do by my power without his grace. I thought I could do the things of God without God. Listen, 
if we minimize sin, we'll forget that there's a war, we'll be deceived into thinking we are strong and we will not pray. You hear that? If you minimize sin, you'll forget that you're at war, you'll be deceived into thinking you're strong and you're not, but you'll think you are, and you won't pray. So let me just ask, are you going through life in your own power? Just think through that. Do you have an inflated view of your strength? Just wrestle with that. This is what, this is what I've come to learn. If we're going to overcome pride, it's going to be on our knees in prayer. We're going to be needing to pray. Because every time we pray, just think about what we're saying. When we pray, we're saying, God, I can't do this. God, I need your grace. I need your spirit. I need your power. I need your love. I need your mercy. I need all of you in me at this moment. If I'm going to love my wife, if I'm going to love my kids, if I'm going to love you, if I'm going to do whatever it is that I'm called to do, I'm going to need you and your grace constantly. This is why I think we ought to begin our days in prayer. We ought to end our days in prayer. When you're driving to work, I think you should be in prayer. When you're going into a meeting, I think you should be in prayer. When you're going home from work, going home to your house, I think you should be in prayer. When you're coming to church, I think you should be in prayer. When you're right now listening to sermons, I think you should be listening to, pr- listening to sermons prayerfully. As we get done, I think you should pray. Always responding, always asking, God, give me grace. Always asking, God, help me in this. Always applying truths of Scripture to wherever you're at. You know what's crazy? God listens. I just think how much, it doesn't even make sense. The guy who owns everything, sustains everything, is, is present everywhere in the universe, is listening to your small trivial little prayer because then honestly i mean it feels like that right and yet he like a father holding his son delights in every word you give him in prayer isn't that crazy and he can do it because he's present everywhere 100 he's not ever divided so when he's with me he's 100 at my house with me listening to my prayers and at the same time he's with you in your house 100 listening to you at the same time he's with our 16 guys in india in india listening to them in their prayers i was i was in uh psalm 3 today psalm 3 verse 4 i cried aloud to the lord and he answered me praise god right that's what happens We pray, and he listens, and he answers. God hears our prayers. Prayer is the means in which we stand firm in our faith. But what we're going to see is prayer is not just about us. We are soldiers together, and we're called to pray for one another. So, so far we've looked at what does prayer look like if we use it for a wartime walkie-talkie regarding us, and now let's just continue to look at what it means to use prayer in this way, but now focusing on others. And so, two things. Prayer is how God strengthens the church. Verse 18 ends by saying, make supplication for all the saints and also for me. Paul says, pray for one another and pray for me. One of the most powerful things you can do for someone else is pray for them. 
You want to love your family. You want to love your children. You want to love the church. You want to love your neighbor. You want to love your coworker. Pray for them. The hard thing is, is I think we love results a little too much. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone, but like Amazon. Do you guys like Amazon? I'm, I'm an Amazon Prime person because when I buy something, I want it. Well, I really want it then, but I'll settle for two days. But I really like it when I get it tomorrow. And once in a while, I've got it same day. Have you ever had that? That's awesome. It's happened only like twice ever. Um, that's how I feel like it should happen all the time. Um, now, here's the thing. We want prayer to work like that all the time. Now, I think it does, so let me break this out. I think oftentimes our prayers don't get answered because we pray the wrong way. We're praying for comforts and conveniences, and I, I think we should bring every request to God. I do. I think we should bring every request. If you need a new washer and dryer or whatever, bring those things to God. But I would just say, what is the, what is the content of your prayers? Why do you want these things? Why do you want these things? Are you just wanting better pillows and better things in your life? What's the purpose of them? So I think if we're asking for things so that those things would be an end in themselves, we do not get them. God is not answering those prayers. And then we say, well, I guess prayer is not really powerful, but we're taking this walkie-talkie for war, and we're using it for a house intercom button, which it was never designed to be. And then we go, well, I guess prayer doesn't work very well. And so we get frustrated. But we're using the tool that God has given us and the means in which he has never given to us. Because when I go back and I read biographies of men and women of the past, and I see the things that they pray, they're getting answers all the time. Go read George Mueller. George Mueller's a guy who, they need food for the orphanage that night. He gets on his knees, and guess what? Every single time, prayer or food comes that night. You go read biographies of great men and women of the faith, and prayer seems to be something that was answered all the time. And yet, you and I have the audacity to say, well, I don't think it works. Well, maybe it's not the prayer doesn't work. Maybe it's what you're praying for. And why you're praying for it, it doesn't work. So I do think prayer is answered all the time. But we often just pray the wrong way. But then, I do think there are prayers that just take a long time to get answered. And they're not going to be Amazon primed. And these are the prayers that when I pray for my kids, or I pray for you, or I pray for a loved one, when I'm praying, bring them to you. Strengthen them in the faith. When I pray that, that doesn't automatically make my kids these gigantic, strong oak trees. But when we keep praying like that, in 5, 10, 15 years, they will. I mean, think about the oak tree. If you have a decent-sized oak tree in your yard, do you see it grow in circumference every single year? No, but it does. And after five years and 10 years and 20 years, it gets stronger and stronger so that when those winds come and they beat against the tree, what does the tree do? It stands firm because it slowly grew stronger and stronger and deeper roots in the ground. And when we pray for one another, that's what happens. We grow in these rings stronger and stronger and stronger in our faith. So that as time comes, in five years, in ten years, in twenty years, when, when Satan comes and attacks you, attacks your children, attacks this church, why will we stand firm? Because of prayer. 
because we have been praying faithfully day in and day out, trusting in God's grace to strengthen us. Those are the prayers I think take a long time so that we see the answers to them. They're being answered right away, but we won't see the effect until those trials come later in life. And the only way we will persevere is through prayer for one another. Paul says we're to be praying for the church. That's the first thing he says. Secondly, we're to be praying for the boldness of the saints. Prayer is how the gospel advances. That's the last point. Prayer is how the gospel advances. Look at verses 19 and 20. And he says, Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's asking the church to pray for him. Paul's asking the church, pray for me that I would have boldness and clarity to speak the gospel. And this isn't the only time he says this. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, he says the same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm greatly encouraged that Paul says he needs prayer to be a bold evangelist. Because I think many of us just go, man, I can never be like Paul. But do you want to know why Paul was a good evangelist? Do you want to know why he saw so many people come to faith? It wasn't because of his rhetoric. It wasn't because of his eloquence. It was because of prayer. Prayer. He, he prayed for himself, and he said, others, I need you to pray for me. What if we did that? What if we commit, like in our table groups, and even times like this, we pray for our, make me bold, make us bold, that we'll stand firm in the gospel, and that we would boldly share the truth of your word with our friends and loved ones and enemies and everyone that we come in contact with. And give me clarity. Because so often I think, what do we say? Well, I don't know what I would always say if they asked me this question or this question. Who cares? There's always going to be a question that we don't know the answer to, right? So let's just pray for boldness and clarity that God would give us the grace to answer what we need in those moments. If we're going to see more people come to faith, it's not going to be because we take more evangelism classes. It's going to be because we pray for one another. Asking for his grace in my life and in your life that he, that he would be in us and we'd be depending upon him at every moment. And you know what? God will answer that prayer. God answers that prayer. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, we, we read this. I, I want to read something to you. Paul says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, just real quick. The church is God's means of revealing his wisdom and power, not only to you and I and the people of this world, but to the spiritual realities around us. Do you know that? The same words, rulers and authorities that's used here, is the same words used in Ephesians 6 to, to refer to the enemies of God. And so what we're told here is that the church is God's means of revealing his wisdom and his grace and his power to the spiritual forces of evil that as the church grows and preaches the gospel and as we proclaim the gospel, 
that Satan and all of his minions would be reminded of their defeat and the unconquerable rule of God. Do you know that's our role? God has chosen the church as the means to reveal his power to the physical and spiritual realities of this world. So I want to encourage, let's pray because we know God will answer our prayers for boldness. Life is war. That's what Paul wants us to see here. But our God is greater than the God of this world. And he promises to give us grace. He promises to persevere us. He promises that we will stand firm. And the way we do that is by wielding the sword of the Spirit, by praying in the Spirit. And so let us not fall into the trap of using prayer as a means of ringing a bell for our comforts and conveniences. So I pray that today, our prayer, that we've been reminded of the importance of prayer, the power of prayer, and that our hearts and minds have been recalibrated to think about prayer according to God's word. Not the way we make up in our minds, but according to his word. So as we close, I just want you to think, let's do this. Let's pray. And I want to invite you back tonight to pray. Five o'clock, we're going to be spending a time, and we're going to be praying over these things. So let's be committing to be praying for one another. Let's commit to pray so that at the end of 2021, we are stronger in our faith than we are right now today. Do you want that? Like, I want that. I want that for me. I want that for you. Let's pray that we grow in our knowledge and love of the gospel. Let's pray that we'd be alert against sin and the tricks and deceptions of the enemy. Let's pray that we would love one another, forgive one another, practicing forgiveness, holding together in unity. Let's pray for boldness that the gospel will continue to advance in, the, in this world. Let's use prayer as our wartime walkie-talkie to receive God's grace at every moment of the day. Let's pray, and then the men will come forward, and we'll take communion. Father, Father, we pray right now knowing that you hear us. Knowing that you hear these words that I'm saying right now. And it's all because of your grace. And so, Lord, I just pray that what your word has said, what we have seen in your word today, that prayer is wartime communication. Prayer is the means in which we stand firm. Prayer is how we love one another. We build one another up in the faith. It's how we grow in our faith. It's how we wield the sword. It's how we hold on to love and unity. It's how we forgive one another. It's how we obey and are faithful to your commands. Lord, I just pray that we would see the power of prayer and that we would depend upon you at all times in prayer. I pray that you awaken our hearts and our eyes to the work of your spirit right now. We would desire to pray like this knowing that you hear us, knowing that you delight in answering us. May we not try to go through this world in our power. May we not be foolish like that. And if we are, Lord, I pray that you expose it right now, that we would repent of any foolishness, any lack of prayer in our life. And may we today, by the work of your Spirit and your grace in us, begin to pray depending upon you, praying for one another, 
We ask that you answer these prayers. That at the end of 2021, we will be stronger. Make us bold. May we share the gospel. May we see more and more people come to faith because of your grace working in us. In your name, Jesus, amen.